you are extremely creative. Even if you can't paint the most photorealistic portrait, when there's a bump in the night that you don't know what it is, you can instantly come up with 20 excuses, 20 explanations why it's perfectly natural that that bump in the night could happen. While you might not be able to, to sculpt the next Michelangelo's David, when you watch a horror movie that really gets you, you can come up with a million reasons why that would never actually happen and why it's perfectly safe for you to turn off the lights and go to bed. You are so creative, maybe not in the ways you want to be, but it seems like in situations where we are the most afraid, that's when our creativity shines. And oh boy, were the Israelites creative. God had sent them a plague of locusts. So many locusts that you can't even count them. And the locusts had come and they had eaten up all of the Israelites' crops, leaving them hardly anything to survive on. And God had sent the prophet Joel to tell the Israelites, this happened because of you. This natural disaster has a spiritual reason, O Israelites, and it's because you are lying to each other, you are murdering each other, you're committing adultery with each other, and you're dishonoring your God. It's not that the Israelites had stopped going to church, though. They kept their religion up very well. They showed up to worship festivals. They weren't just sitting at home lazing about. But they thought, which you and I can often think, that as long as they were showing up, as long as they were going through the motions, that they were good, that they could get God off their backs. And maybe if they could just cover their head in ashes, a little on the nose for Ash Wednesday, but it was a, a common sign of repentance, if they could just take their, their clothes and rip them, another common sign of emotional agony, if they could just do that, maybe they could get God to repent, to relent, and to take back the calamity he caused. Talk about creative thinking. But why do we do that? Why do we get so creative that we start to think that even just going through the motions should be enough for God? We become play actors. You're a better actor than you know. You're a better actor than you give yourself credit for, even if you've never stepped foot on a stage. Life is kind of like its own stage. You're having to act all the time, aren't you? You're having to act every day like things don't bother you when they do, like you don't feel guilty about some things when you do. But have you ever acted like you do feel guilty about something when you don't? Now, why would we do that? It's because there's a shred of us that, just like the Israelites, believe that it, the God who created us, to whom we are accountable, he might just be satisfied if we just say, I'm sorry. Talk about creative thinking. That the God who created us to love him, to enjoy creation, and to love our neighbor would be perfectly fine if we did none of those things, as long as we jump through a couple hoops, as we perform a certain set of motions. We know the script. 
we know the confession repentance script. And when I've done wrong, maybe if I just play that script again, if I just run that scene one more time, maybe that's enough to get God off my back. But that is pure creative imagination. It makes no sense. But we do it because of fear. And because of fear's close twin, shame. When I go home and I start to think, hey, the way that I'm talking to my wife, the way that I'm treating my wife, isn't all that God-pleasing. Ah, uh, ah, uh, no, no, forget it. Stop going there, Michael. Remember, you went to church. You did the things. You sang the songs. You said the words. So you don't have to feel shame about that. Or we start to think about our various vocations. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are a husband, a wife, a father, a citizen, a student. I'm not glorifying God in all of those vocations. No, stop that. Stop that. You are a church-going Christian. You don't need to feel shame in any way. We are so quick to cut ourselves off from feeling shame. Why? And then Ash Wednesday comes, this day that is designed, this church festival that is designed in every way to pop that balloon and bring my shame straight to my face. To From dust you are and to dust you shall return. Your sins deserve nothing short of absolute total death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. Your soul deserves to be separated from God. There goes all my attempts to trust in my actions or the script that I run or the scene that I play to save me from my shame. God is not interested in good actors. God is not interested in your and my creativity. He can see through it all. He can see straight into our hearts. And he wants our hearts. That's why God gets so mad when we're not honest with him. It's because he knows the problem. He can see it. We're the, the only thing that's happening is we are deceiving ourselves, as the apostle said. But what would happen if we just dropped it, if we dropped the charade, if we stopped playing the scene, if we stopped acting, if we stopped getting creative and we just said, yeah, I am a miserable, wicked sinner that deserves death. Well, to wicked, miserable sinners that deserves death, God says this. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Even now, God says, even when you think your shame is too deep, your wickedness too great, and your death to deserve, even now, return to me, God says. These are not the words of an angry judge, brothers and sisters. These are the words of a compassionate father, like Jesus' parable of the prodigal son, the father who runs out and meets his son. Finally, my son has come back. That's God's word to you. Return to me. See how much power, how much amazing grace is in that word, return? I can't return to Los Angeles because I've never been there. You see what I'm saying? God says, return to me, because each and every one of us, our starting point is with God, our maker, 
and Redeemer. We are the ones who separated ourselves, oceans apart from our Maker, from our sin. But God says, I'm waiting, come right back. But how? Why? God says he wants us to come right back with all of our hearts, not to rend, tear our clothes, not to just go through the motions, but he wants a relationship with us. How do we make that happen? We are so miserable, so wicked, when all we do is sin. How can we make a relationship with God possible again? Well, it's got nothing to do with us. It's got everything to do with what kind of God we have. Return to the Lord your God. Why? Because he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. He relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Why turn back to God? Because you know what you'll find when you do. If you grew up with an emotionally unstable parent, you learned how to keep your thoughts to yourself. You learned not to bother them with your criticism. You dare not say anything about their cooking. You dare not, you, and you learned their moods. You learned when it was okay to joke around with them and when it was better to just be in a separate room. Because you never know what you got. But what you did know is you could never be yourself. You could never just say what was on your mind. You could never just talk about what you wanted to talk about. You had to manage everything for the sake of this other person's emotions. What about with God? God is asking us to come to him and to bear wide open the number one thing we are so constantly trying to hide, even from ourselves, our shame. But he's not going to snap at us like an angry parent. He says, you can be honest with me. You can say everything. You can bear your shame because you're going to get compassion. You're going to get grace. You're going to get love. You're going to get forgiveness. I mean, look at what God has done for you. He has shown how gracious and compassionate he is to you by sending his son, Jesus, to endure your greatest shame. Have we truly thought about that, that God knows your deepest, darkest sin? He knows those things that you spend a lot of time trying to forget about. He knows it full well. He knew you were going to before you did as well. And he planned out from eternity your forgiveness. He wants you that bad. He wants your heart for himself. He sent Jesus to die for that shame, to crucify it on a cross, so that he could fully and freely forgive you and promise you not eternal death, which is what you deserve, but eternal life through his son Jesus. If that's the God we're talking about, then of course you can trust him with your shame. Of course you don't need to act with this God. You can be 100% honest with him and return to your gracious and compassionate love. He is slow to anger. He doesn't fly off the handle. He is in the business of showing compassion for wicked, miserable sinners like me. He is in the business of forgiving our sins. That is what he loves to do because he loves you. But did you catch 
the way Joel commands that we return to the Lord, Joel doesn't just leave it up for us to decide, okay, maybe in my prayers I'm going to include a little bit more confession of my sin. Maybe I'll go to church and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about my sin a little bit. No, Joel has a very strict step-by-step process. He wants his people to blow the horn that assembles people for worship. He wants them to get together. This is such an important confession of sin service to Joel that even the bride and the groom, on the happiest day of their lives, he says, you need to stop that and you need to come to church and get sorry for your sins. Our sinful nature hates that. That sounds like the worst idea ever. You know why? Because shame has power over you if it can keep you by yourself. Shame has power over you if it can keep itself a secret. That's why we don't want to be together. We don't want to confess that I'm a sinner in front of other people. That's embarrassing. That's, that seems like it's going to increase my shame when really we are here to rob shame of its power. Because we, together, miserable sinners who deserve nothing from God, have approached him in worship, and we have said we can't save ourselves. We've all said that together. And yeah, your individual walk looks different than mine. Your temptations look different from my temptations, but we both have temptations. Your sinful history looks different than my sinful history, but we both have them. And so there's no shame in coming together as a body of Christ if our goal is to simply trust in Christ's forgiveness. And when we do, shame becomes powerless over us. Because we are together saying, yeah, we know we're sinners, but we trust in Christ's forgiveness for us. That's why it's such a tragedy when somebody separates themselves from the body of Christ, when they stop coming to worship permanently. They're hurting themselves. Because shame will return and have power over them again. That's why it's such a tragedy when I make my walk with Christ my business and none of your business because I'm robbing you, my brother, my sister, of the opportunity to join me of robbing shame of its power. Because what are we doing when we confess our sins openly together in the worship service or privately together? We are taking ourselves off the stage. We're saying, I'm not the main character anymore. I'm not the lead role. You know what is? God's grace. God's grace is the lead role. And to do that and to join in confession and recognizing God's grace as the most important thing, as the defining thing in our lives, that's worth interrupting anything, whether it's a wedding or whatever. So I think after this service, I'm going to buy a megaphone and I'm going to go on your street and I'm going to find out whenever you're doing something you really like to do. And I'm going to say, stop that. You've got to come to church, and we're going to do a confession service, like Joel says in, the, in these verses, right? I don't think so. I think repentance, confession for us, is not just a one-time thing, right? It's not just a one-hour on a Wednesday evening or on a Sunday morning thing, right? Of course not. Repentance this way. Stepping aside and letting God's grace take center stage, that is a lifestyle, that is faith, that is what we are all about 24-7. Let Jesus become greater, let me become lesser, because that's the only way that you'll be saved from shame.
you'll be protected from it. And toward the end here, did you catch what motivates God to bless his people once again? It says, Then the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. The Lord replied to them, I'm sending you grain, new wine, and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. It'd be kind of goofy if I didn't mention the fact that today is Valentine's Day. So maybe a lot of you have romantic thoughts at the top of your mind. Maybe you're over this Valentine's Day stuff. But I'm just going to say one thing about relationships. What role does jealousy have in a relationship? A little bit, right? We know what jealousy looks like when it is taken too far, and that gets ugly real fast. But do you really want your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend to not be jealous at all? To see you get hurt and to not care at all? I don't think any of us want that. The Lord is jealous for you. When he sees shame try to dominate you, when he sees sin try to dominate you, he will not abide it. And when he sees our, our attempts at deception, once again, our play acting, our creativity, he will not abide it. He will sit us back down and he will tell us the facts of law and gospel all over again. Why? Because his jealousy moves him to act in our best interest. He will marshal his strength and he will remove shame, dominion over us. He loves you that much. So the Lord can be jealous to the max and it won't, it won't be too much because his jealousy for you, his desire to own you and have you to himself, that's what motivated him to send Jesus to be your savior to redeem you, to purchase and win you over to himself. And did you see what blessings came forth for the Israelites from the Lord's jealousy, from his pity? He gave them grain and new wine and olive oil once again. He restored to them the very blessings he took away through the locusts. He sent the locusts to wake the Israelites up, to get them to repent, and he was quick to restore those blessings again. As Job said, right, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. God is working through the circumstances of life to remind you of where you stand, that you're not the main character of this play. God's grace is but to remind you of his love for you. Does God want people who just go through the motions? Of course not, but that doesn't mean he doesn't care about the motions at all. Now, at this church, we have traditions, we have liturgies, we do stuff, we did the ashes, we do a corporate confession that sounds more and more familiar every time you say it. We have the sacraments. Why? Not because we believe that just by doing them we can change God's mind about us. That doesn't happen. God already loves you to the max. He's not going to change. It cannot increase, and it's not going to decrease God's love for you. So these traditions and these actions and these things that we do don't change God. But this is our habit. This is our purpose of taking our step off of the stage and letting God's grace be at the center once again. Return to God. Return to your compassionate Lord. Amen.